1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker and folks on today's show. We are pleased to have with us for the first time, Gene Marks.
2: Hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ed. I had an eye appointment this morning, so my eyes are dilated and full of stuff, so I can barely see you but i, I can listen so I'm that's good today yes i sidekick.
1: okay fair I'll
2: enough be Gibbons, your howard
1: stern how <laughs> <do that? laughs> yeah all right <laughs> i was a i was an imus guy you can be charles mccord instead okay. how about that all right fair enough. Be better. Okay. okay but um let's get gene on and i uh, wanted to uh welcome him to the show gene is the ceo of the Marks group and also the host of the weekly podcast called small biz ahead with The Hartford, and if you want to check out some of the episodes, visit sba.thehartford.com and also genemarks.com to read his blog and other fun stuff. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Gene.
3: Thank you, Ed, and uh, listen, if while we're at it, I mean, if you want me to be Ronnie the limo driver, that's entirely up <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> But it may not, you may run into some problems broadcasting the show, obviously. But, you know, I have to say when, during the introduction of this, you're playing this uh, excerpt from uh, uh, like a Ronald Reagan, you know, speech, you know. And yes. just like I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've also been listening to a lot of YouTube like as podcasts, you know, like I'll walk around and like, listen, you you can, you have to watch the videos to listen, whatever. There was this unbelievable interview. It was from 1987 and it was with Ronald Reagan and four of the major anchors at the time. It was like Dan Rather, Pete Jennings, Tom Brokaw, Bernard, I forget Bernard's last name, but anyways, there's four of them. Yeah. And they were all with Reagan in the Oval Office of the White House. This is December of 87 and it was a raw footage. So first of all, the first five or 10 minutes, they were just kind of adjusting their mics and getting to know each other and talking. And and it was really great. I mean, they just, I mean, they, you know, they kind of opposed each other politically, but everybody just, it was just a different era where everybody was getting a l- more, you know, more uh, polite about each other, you know? And then then they went into the conversation, which I think was broadcast live at the time. And, um, and it was just fascinating. It was Reagan talking about Gorbachev and you know, his recent negotiations with, with the Soviet Union. Um, I was under the impression in the last year of his presidency that he was really going like, he really had dementia. Um, but that was not the case. If you, yeah, you listen to that, you, you watch it, you listen to it. The guy had all of his marbles. And uh, man, I just you know I, I I miss that guy. You know I I was much younger at the time, but uh, it was a fascinating interview. And if you ever search for it on YouTube, I think you'd really get a kick
1: out of it. So we, we would. That's great. We we've recently had Peter Robinson on from Uncommon Knowledge, who is a speechwriter for Reagan and wrote the Mr. Garbage Have Tear Down This Wall speech. No kidding. And no he kidding. told us the backstory to that which was absolutely fascinating huh, really really interesting that, yeah uh, it was so it was, it was quite cool um, but the, you know the other thing is we that speech that we play as an intro is from his speech to Moscow University and it was it was delivered Gorbachev's there and it's the bust of Lenin is behind him and wow. here he is talking about this economy and mind Right. No bounds on human. But the the freedom to the create is the most precious natural resource. And we just think about that. And we think it's perhaps Reagan's best ever speech. And the author of that speech, Joshua Gilder, is coming on in a couple of weeks. So we're real, Yeah.
3: That is really cool. And, and, you know, I tell you, it's like, I I've been on a Reagan kick lately. I don't know why. And, and he was, um, again on YouTube, there was like a long interview with him and Dick Cavett, where he was interviewed when he was just finished being governor of California. Um, and it was fascinating to hear just his sort of perspective on the world. And then there's a montage of clips on YouTube of all of his humor in speeches, which he's, you know, interview the speechwriters and, um, uh, he was—he was really something else. Uh, and yet, when I was a kid, and he was president, um, I, I, I lived in London for a year. That's where I met my wife. And then people at university just hated the guy. It was the, the, the era of like Thatcher and Reagan and putting the nukes in Europe and all of that. I remember there being, you know, just a lot of a lot of opposition to him. But um, I don't know. Looking back on him, I just I find him fascinating to listen to.
1: Well, we, you know, I, I personally think that, that he was right about the Cold War. The Soviets just Absolutely. couldn't keep up with us from, a, from an innovation standpoint. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that with the show is the soul of enterprise is because we believe that business has not only a material, but spiritual component to it. And that was one of the things that was missing in the Soviet Union was the, the not religious, but spiritual component of business and the creativity.
3: I was gonna say you talk about this show being the you know the spirit of enterprise the soul of enterprise you know um, you know Reagan is a perfect example of like business owners that I know that are, you know, like when you see Reagan talk, even like in a, in informally or in an interview, the guy was not, he wasn't a brain surgeon. The guy wasn't some like genius academic, you know what I mean? Like, so there's always this argument about, you gotta be like super smart to be a great leader or even to be a great business owner, you know? And I, I can't even tell you, Ed, how many, you know, clients I have, people that did not go to the Ivy league, you know, that went to state college that whatever. And, but just, you know, okay, they weren't great academically, but like Reagan, which is the, they were good, re- they were good leaders. You know, mm-hmm. they, they had a vision, they had the, you know, the thing. And so um, I just, I don't know, the, the takeaway from watching somebody like that is to say like, you can be um, successful in what you do. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just need to make sure you surround yourself with them.
1: So. Yeah. And he was great at that. He really was, you know, let's hire good people and get the hell out of their way. It was really right. his, his Perfect. motto. Perfect. So, well, Gene, there's so much we could talk to you about, but, but the thing that jumped out at me today in the, in the news um Bitcoin, over a trillion dollars in market cap.
3: Makes this complete is- sense, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well I I'm I'm fortunate enough to have some that I bought a long, long time ago and I'm yeah. you know I'm I'm already out uh, or I I've gotten out what I put in. Mm, so now it's all house money. So now I'm like, it's either gonna change my life in the future or it's not. That's 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 where I am with it, right? Yeah. But I think this is a significant moment, or at least now, maybe through the next couple of months, I looked at this as a crossing the chasm kind of thing. Uh, today, we are about 10% of the the market cap of Bitcoin of gold, it, it, where gold is. And you know, that crossing the chasm mark is that, you know, 10 to 14 to 18% when you cross the chasm, and then boom, you get all of the early adopters who just completely come online. And, I, you know, we're at we're at a point now, I think, an inflection point, a serious inflection point, whether this is gonna make it or gonna break it in the next couple of months. Thoughts on that?
3: Well, my thought first of all is on Bitcoin is that when people talk about Bitcoin, it's as if it's like a stock. Like they're, they're, yeah. it's, it's like a GameStop thing. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're buying it because they want to ride the, the increase or the, you know, and, or, or hedge against it or that's what they're talking about. And they talk about the valuation of Bitcoin. It's like we're talking about a company or something that's worth that amount of money. Um, and that's, it's just the wrong way to look at it. I mean, someday to me, Bitcoin will be, um, something that you can really take seriously. And we're getting closer and closer to that when people look at it like they look at any other currency, which is, you know, yeah, there, there's a market for currency traders, of course, but really it's just as a vehicle of exchange, you know, and right now it's, it's, it's not, you know, that way, but we're, we're absolutely getting there. Um, you, you, we had, you, you talk about that sort of point of inflection to me, it was back in November, um, when PayPal announced that they were going to support Bitcoin. Um, When you have, like, pretty much the largest, you know, company for for exchange um, and and commerce, digital commerce, saying we're now going to, um, you know, have Bitcoin as part of what we're offering, that was an enormous step ahead. And most major financial institutions are now seriously, you know, considering it to bring it into their portfolios. And then, of course, Elon Musk, just a couple weeks ago, um, made a large investment in Bitcoin as well. And I know, you know, he can be, you know, Elon Musk, but it is, um, you know, all of those things do definitely, you know, build it create. Credibility. Uh, you know, listen. You know, I, I cover small business, so I tell business owners that you have to prepare for Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, all the other digital currencies um, in the in the future. Right now, it's still so volatile that if I sell you Ed something for ten bucks or the equivalent of Bitcoin to get it back. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, if it's worth $5 two days from now because I haven't exchanged it, that's not a good thing. That's not very stable, you know. But at some point when this stabilizes, we should be in a situation where we should all be accepting Bitcoin. We shouldn't be running away you know, from it. The other thing I also have with Bitcoin, and I don't know if you also you agree with this or not, but my understanding was is that it's still, first of all, it's hugely energy consumptive. You know, like there is a, it takes a large amount of energy to mint Bitcoin. So that's one thing. Um, and I also was under the impression that there's some major, major holders of Bitcoin that could effectively control or manipulate that market. And that gives me a concern still. So for all of those reasons, I'm not getting into Bitcoin yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, well, I, you know, and I think one of the, the things that Elon Musk talked about, and and Greg actually the who runs our social media was and I were talking about this earlier today. Is first of all, he always clarifies that it wasn't Elon himself who made the investment; it was Tesla who made yeah. the investment, yeah. right? And and the and the rationale for it is really so that the they would be less. Beholden to the volatility of it when they start taking payments in it. Fair enough. And Fair that, enough. that was the thought process. Now, if this starts to happen with other companies, if Walmart starts to invest and Amazon starts to not invest, but hold large amounts of Bitcoin, that that's, makes- that's where you see it.
3: And that 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 addresses my that addresses my issue of one you know of of Bitcoin being controlled by only a few big players. But then again, it also will raise all sorts of other issues because once again, it's the power of tech and tech companies. And now not only do they control the earth and the internet and communication and commerce, now you've got companies like Amazon and Google or Microsoft or whatever taking big positions in in Bitcoin is going to create. Um I'm sure more more drama and more discussion. My my only b- takeaway with Bitcoin is that it is the future um, it is absolutely going to be a currency that we have to consider and accept. And I think once it becomes stable enough and reliable enough um, as a business, you 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 have to expect the fact that you're going to be doing business using digital currencies in the future. I think it's, it's absolutely inevitable. So yeah, n- science fiction.
1: Completely agree. So we got about uh, t- two minutes left on this. So I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to bring up a, 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 a completely different subject.
3: I could talk uh, even uh, faster. Ed.
1: It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I know that's a, that, you, We'll, we'll be fine, but um, <laughs> w- wanted to get your your thoughts. Uh, maybe have you have you looked at all uh, about the Australian t- link tax that's come out recently? No. Have you are you aware of this? Okay, this I'll, I'll I'll share it with you. Set this up, and perhaps we can bandy it about during the break. And if you okay. want to talk about it, but I tried to post something today on Facebook. Oh, and it okay. Was, and I was told, nope, you can't do it because uh, there's a link to Australia in there somewhere. And because Australia has now put a thing where if you want to put a link up, it, there's a tax that has to be paid right. to do this. Right. Right. Um, this is a really bad idea.
3: Yeah, well it is, but I, it's a trend that I think is is a good trend, um, Ed. And, and we're seeing that right now. I mean, if you noticed uh, Murdoch and Fox now, um, I've been negotiating with Google um, and some of the other, you know, and Facebook, where um, those companies are going to have to start paying for content, you know, news content, you know, to them. And that is, I think, going to be a huge change in the way that news is delivered and how we're going to be getting our news in the future. Australia as a government is getting involved in taxing that news. Um, but I think we're, you know, we're going to be seeing it more within major media publishers, too. Um, and I think that'll be a good thing
1: for everybody. It might that might well be the, you know the fact that it is paid but I mean but posting a link and a tax on a link seems to be that's not content you're not publishing content when you're publishing a link that seems to right. be a silly argument but right right
3: no yeah. I agree and I'm not saying that it is um, th- that is the best methodology for doing that but I think we're going to be seeing a lot of changes with these social media platforms um, in the future because uh, the, the way that news has been delivered has been um, has been very slanted depending on who you are and what your interests are and um, now with those you know, media firms having to pay um, or getting paid for the news that they deliver, I think the social media organizations are going to be more uh, cognizant of how they're delivering this news and who's getting what. And I think that will level the playing field a little bit.
1: All right. Well, we are up against our first break. I want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to askTSOE at Verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can look at show notes from our previous shows as well as our previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network
4: on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package price market and deliver additional services to clients increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients let sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com
4: have you ever read a book that changed your life i sure have have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of god me too
0: tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well,
2: welcome back, everybody. We're here with Gene Marks. And, and Gene, I feel like we could go a million different places because I know you're a KPMG alma mater, but let me ask you this, <laughs> this caught my this caught my eye. Looking at your bio, tell me about your book, In God We Trust, Everyone Else Pays Cash.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that book was actually superseded by a, a new book that I have that's called Want More Cash, which is 100 plus okay. strategies and ideas for uh, managing and raising cash for your business. Um, the the In God We Trust title, though, came from Gene Shepard, who is an old radio personality in New York area. Um, he coined that phrase. He's the same guy that actually wrote um, A Christmas Story, um, which is you know the one that's shown on T N TBS or T N T or whatever every year, um, but anyway, it's a book on cash flow. So you know I okay. my my company, I'm a CPA. Uh, we have about six hundred clients around the country, and then I write and talk to a lot of business owners. It's really geared towards small and medium sized companies, and um, what it's all about is um, just strategies and ideas and and thoughts on better managing your cash and and hopefully raising cash, increasing cash in your business. So that's what that book's all about and then readdressed in in my new book that just came out a few weeks ago.
2: Fantastic. Let me ask you this because I know you're a CPA, as am I, and do you think our profession is serving small businesses? No. On this class? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Cash is king, right? Yeah. And it just seems like we play historian with bad memories with the financial statements, but we don't help them model cash.
3: I have a. I, you're right, and and well, maybe um, hopefully you, you 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 get this feel the same. mean, like I'm, listen, I'm a big advocate for the profession. Um, I know a lot of great CPAs, but sure. I know a lot of really awful CPAs as well. You know, and and I tell you, a lot of it is, is tuned to age. There's still people that are of a different generation. Um, frankly, you know, my generation that. Still think that they can get away in life by just like preparing tax returns every year, and that's the that's the sole value that they're providing to their clients, and you know not answering the phone or not answering you know you know requests for questions or whatever, not being proactive, um, and that is like that is like old 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 school. Um, you, the, the best CPAs that I that I meet nowadays um, get it. They not only uh, provide a more value-added service and advice. Um, they're more industry focused. You know, they, they focus on a certain vertical, so they can say to their clients like, "Hey, you know, your margins are a little bit less than my 18 other clients in this industry, or your you know materials costs are you know yeah. seem to be out of line." Um, you know, and then you know, even when it came to this whole issue with PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, and, you know, all the funding needed. I mean, there's this big debate going on in the accounting industry about should we charge for these services? Should we not? You know, I mean, you've got business owners that are like desperate, they're like dying here. And, you know, and these, and the CPAs who are like, we're working from home, you know, in our slippers, and we're like arguing over whether or not we should charge 200 bucks an hour to some poor guy who owns a restaurant that, you know, is desperate for help applying for a PPP loan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I hear that debate, I'm like, Jesus, it's just, you know, man, it's just crazy. So the profession's getting better. It's getting better, but there are still some people that. Shouldn't be practicing, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah. It seems like we a lot of times we pay lip service to the relationship we have with our customers that we're privileged to serve.
3: Yeah, we really you know? do. We really do. And um, and I think you should be proud to be you know a, you know a CPA. I think it's a great profession. Uh, my son works at PwC and he loves it. I loved my years at KPMG. Um, my biggest reason for leaving was just uh, my, you know, I married somebody from England. You know, she moved to the U.S. And you work for a large, you know, big four company. You give your soul to them. Um, you travel all over. They tell you where to go. You go. And I, you know, that wasn't a sacrifice I was willing to make. But I, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time there.
2: Right. Tell me about your book, The Small Business Book of Lists.
3: So I have a new version of that coming out this year, believe it or not. There's um, hundreds of lists from hundreds of experts around the country that are basically answering questions about uh, specific, any specific things that affect a small business. So for example, like, uh, you know, what are the 10 things you should be asking a CPA when you hire them, you know, or uh, what are the, what are the six things you should know about applying for a zoning permit, you know, in your area or uh, the, the the 10 best places to put your marketing money. And what I did is it's a big thick book and, you know, cause we interviewed all these different people that were experts in their area. Um, so the good news is, is that very little of the information actually comes from me, which means that it's more correct and accurate and something you can actually rely on. It comes from actual experts that know what they're talking about. Uh, And and because of that, it's like just that that kind of a vibe of a book. So I'm in the the process right now of revising the entire thing. We're going to release a new version later on this year, along with an accompanying website. So you can just go and search for lists. So um, just a good way to digest the information.
2: That's phenomenal. It reminds me, it sounds like uh, the book, The Checklist Manifesto on Steroids,
3: it does. Well, do you remember? I don't know. Like when I was a little kid, there was this big book called *The Book of Lists*. It was like David mm. Miloszinski and stuff. It was a big bestseller, and I used to love that book. Um, and that you know, and I always thought, like, boy, that's that'd be a cool thing to do just for business owners. So it took a while to put it together, as you can imagine. But um, it was a lot of fun to do.
2: Right. You know, Ed and I work in the pricing space, and there's been this pricing revolution going on since at least the mid 1980s in big business. And my question for you is do you think that's filtered down into smaller business in other words has smaller business gotten more sophisticated with respect to pricing moving away from cost the idea of cost plus pricing and more to a value pricing
3: so, yes and no. Um, you know, I, I think the typical small business owner is definitely more intelligent and has more data at their disposal um, than like a business owner twenty or thirty years ago. there's There's no question about that. So uh, but whether or not they're really leveraging that data the right way and and using you know using the data to come up with their pricing the right way, um i I don't see that. And I gotta tell you something. you guys specialize in pricing. That is the number one issue among my clients in the end. It just, it is just, it is it, it is, are we, you know, what should we be pricing our products? How should we change our pricing depending on the product, the customer, the region, the, you know, you know, with the, the mix of materials um, and how can we be maximizing margins for each of our, you know, for, for everybody that we're selling. And if you ask any business owner, they will tell you that they are not doing a good enough job, you know, getting around that part of it is laziness. You know, because you just you got too many other things you're worried about. So you just have like just an overall price. My business has um I am perfect example of that. I mean, I have uh you know we have we we sell you know bread and butter. My company I have ten employees and we sell CRM systems. So we sell like Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics and Zoho and a few others. And I just have like yeah our hourly rate is 175 bucks an hour. Yeah, you know, like I just throw it out there, that's what we have, you know, oh, that's a little high. Okay. How about 160 bucks an hour? You know, like it's like, you know, like it's <laughs> pulling it out of anywhere. Yeah, And so I'm the worst offender of that because I'm too lazy to really go through the past 10 years of data. My company's been around for 25 years to really figure out what services, what type of clients what I could charge this guy $176 an hour and this guy $162 an hour. <laughs> And that would make a big difference. You know, it really would. So Great. I think a lot of it is laziest. It's not a data issue. That's, that's the problem. And I'm, I'm one of the world's biggest defenders
2: and it's good enough right I mean it, it's uh, it's what one economist called satisficing we, we just do good enough we don't set out to optimize or maximize we just set out you know it's good enough
3: well the issue is is that business owners um, like myself we don't have the resources to analyze all that stuff so uh, you know if I, I think about it you know I mean Ron I could spend you know I could spend 50 hours trying to figure out a, a good pricing mechanism for certain clients or I could take that same 50 hours and try and get new clients you know so it's you know what's going to give me more of a return on it investment with the limited amount of time and resources that I have, big, excuse me, big companies that I go to, larger clients, they, I mean, they have teams of people that, you know, that, that, that work on this stuff. Like that's like their full-time job and business, you know, usually typical small business owners can't afford to pay somebody to do that as a full-time job. However, that gets back to the whole CPA thing. Cause if you've got a smart CPA, that's the, if I was still like a CPA practice, pricing is exactly the kind of consulting service that i'd be offering to my clients i'd be like let me you know pay me this certain amount of money and let me go in and look at what you guys are doing a price and i'm going to come back to you and tell you how you can make more money based on the products that you're selling um, I think it's an amazing opportunity for CPAs and nobody seems to take advantage of it.
2: I think it, it to- couldn't agree more. It is a totally amazing opportunity and we've been trying to get CPAs to do it. And Gene, we've had more luck with bookkeepers. Yeah. Bookkeepers can advise their customers because they seem to have a better relationship with them.
3: Yeah, it's really true. And, and this, it's because the bookkeepers generally have like one or two or a handful of clients and they're there on site and they get to know them personally more and right, and they're in the details. I mean, yeah. they are they are in the, the data and a typical accountant to make money. You know, they have hundreds of clients. So they're churning out tax returns or doing whatever. And they just, they, they never get as close to their clients as, as they need to be. Um, and in their defense, I mean, you know, it's, again, you're trying to run a practice and you, you need a certain amount of volume. Um, to make your money. So, unfortunately, you have to sacrifice something, and what you sacrifice is more time spent with
2: your clients. Excellent. Well, look, I was thrilled to hear you say that you've got an opinion on everything, so I'm going to switch gears really hard on you here.
3: Sure. Are we going to talk Great. about Kim Kardashian? Because I know we are. Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: no, but but you're free to do Very that. Very sad
3: about that divorce.
2: <laughs> Very sad.
3: But go ahead. I know we only have two minutes.
2: Um, grade President Trump's economic policies.
3: hmm Oh, grade them oh, as a business owner an A, and A. My, what did I you mean, like I, and not like? Well, I can. I, I that's easy. I mean, first of all, I liked everything about his business policies because, um, first of all, he's a he's he's a low tax, business friendly um, kind of president. Okay, um, I I believe that the economy, the stock market, and 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 all else that makes up our livelihoods um, all relies on. Um, um, there's a lot of psychology. Okay, it's a lot of type of the environment that we're in. When you had a Trump administration in office, it was clearly a positive and pro-business environment. So the guy was a business guy, he was in there to, you know, he's on the side of business. That's what is, and that goes a long way, just psychologically, as a business owner, you know you've got this guy in office for the next four years, he's not gonna be doing anything willfully that's gonna impact your business uh, negatively, so you can feel more comfortable making investments. And that's the reason why the markets themselves rode, the economy did as well, and small business optimism from the NFIB was at all-time historical highs under the four years of Trump's administration. Because it's not just the particulars of the policy that trickled down, but it's just the, again, the, the, the pro-business environment that a president like that brings. When, when President Biden became president, I don't know if you saw the NFIB's small business optimism index, it just came out last week, plummeted this past mm-hmm. month, okay? I mean, it just, mm-hmm. just took a dip. So. I, I liked all of that. It's it's saying the right things and giving that kind of you know that kind of confidence. Where um, President Trump shot himself in the foot was just his behavior and his you know his erratic behavior, which caused a lot of uncertainty along businesses. I mean, imagine you're trying to do business overseas um, and then you've got you know you know, you wake up one morning and you hear the tariffs are going to be throw out of the blue, um, or you're trying to do some other type of business that involves type of certain regulations and you hear that you know they're going to be changed or you know. The, the his, his his personality brought about too much uncertainty, um, and it just got in the way of his policies. And it's a shame because I yeah. really do think, from a policy perspective, uh, President Trump was one of the best presidents in a long time uh, for businesses. And now, by the way, and I know we got to cut for a break, but um, uh, you know, when President Biden took o- has taken over, perfect example. I mean, you know, like his labor secretary is Marty Walsh. Uh, that's been nominated, um, Walsh is a, you know, mayor of Boston, a lifelong union guy and pro labor guy who is coming in with an agenda of like increasing the minimum wage, increasing overtime wages, giving more power to the unions, you know, less power for independent contractors, all of those things. I'm not saying those are bad things, but they're certainly going to be costly for businesses. So when you hear that stuff, that's why small businesses become more nervous and they start pulling back a little bit because they're like, oh, we're going to have another four years of this. So we have to adjust our spending and our investments. So sure. it's psychology. Is what yeah. I think is the no,
2: that's a great that. point it creates a climate of uncertainty i think you can equate it back to fdr during the you know the great yep. depression all the programs he tried created enormous uncertainty in the markets it did and probably stalled the recovery for more years so but jane this is great this is flying by and, and folks would like to remind you if you mm-hmm. want to contact ed or me send us an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com check out our patreon where you can subscribe and listen to the show and also get our bonus content at patreon.com tsoe which is now sponsored by 90 minds get ahead hire a mind check them out at nine zero minds.com and now a word from our sponsors the
4: future of online tv is here Exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today.
1: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com.
4: Voice America Business Network.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: And we are back with CEO of Mark's Group, Gene Marks, also host of the weekly podcast, Small Biz Ahead with The Hartford. Again, check that out at sba.thehartford.com. Gene, uh, you talk were with, with talking pricing with my, my partner, Ron. Ron and I have been doing a lot of shows in the last no, 18 months or so, including an interview with Teen So, who wrote the book called Subscribed, mm-hmm. about the move to the subscription economy. Uh, love to get your thoughts on subscription-based pricing Especially and in the professions?
3: It's, first of all, it's the holy grail of pricing. It is just everything that you want. My story is when I was at KPMG, uh, one of my clients um, was a cable company. It was a local cable company back in the day. So we're going way back, okay? Like into like, you know, the 80s. And um, they, the guy that started the company, um, laid cable for like 20 years, you know, did all the infrastructure work, raised all the money, raised the cable, all that kind of stuff. Poor guy died of like a heart attack at the age of 60, right? His kids took over the company and his kids, of course, were just, you know, all over the place. and uh, But 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 they had a subscription model built up, this was back in the 80s because it's a cable company, right? So they had, they, they had all the infrastructure done. They had all of the, you know, the prices set with HBO and Cinemax and whatever the you know, stage they were carrying. And all they had to do was just add subscribers. It was like a money making machine, you know, for this entire family, they had to do like nothing but just sit. It's just switched it on. And like any new subscribers, there's no setup cost, there's no additional whatever, it's just you just switch it on. The subscription model is why the entire software industry moved to the cloud. It was it, it was this incredible way to just build like this value. Subscription pricing um, and the model itself is the ultimate way to build value in your business, which is why Ed, my business ain't worth diddly. Because <laughs> my business, and I've been running it for again, like 25 years, my business, and I'm a virtual company. So first of all, that, that's another topic of like work from home. Everybody in my business is working from home for the past 10 years. We're like the world's most dysfunctional company, but like nobody sees each other. Nobody knows who we are whatever. That's a whole other topic of conversation. But anyway, we go from project to project to project. We sell CRM systems, right? So at any given time, I've got, I don't know, 20 or 30 projects running. Project ends, I'm done. When I want to sell my business, I'm literally going to have to pay somebody to take it from me because there's no, there's no value in my business because I have no subscriptions. I have no commitments from any of these clients. They just, you know, they pay us for the services and then, you know, we just move on and service companies. Companies like mine have been trying forever to try and figure out a way to turn this into like a subscription model so that I can go and, you know, and and do that. And I think the biggest mistake that I made being a CPA at is I should have, I should have stayed in the CPA business and started an accounting firm. Because accounting firms sell themselves for a multiple of their revenues because they, in effect, have a subscription. They have the monthly tax returns or annual tax returns they do for clients, and clients generally don't leave their accountants. So you know you could sell your firm, and if you do it the right way, um, you could transition. Most of them are going to stay with that firm, and the traditional model is built. The subscription model is built up value for your firm. But for me, you know, for most service businesses that are out there, it's like this, it's this holy grail. And I haven't been able to figure it out myself. How can I turn my company into a subscription business that people would literally pay me every month for? Um, and I, I, I just haven't gotten there. And, and I'm going to pay the
1: price in the future. No, let me recommend that you listen to our show from last week with John Murillo, author of The Automatic Customer, who told a, a story very similar to yours and that he was working with this one client of his that mm-hmm. was ready to, cause he's, he, his big thing is uh, built to sell. That's the name of his kind of yes. system. And he said the one, one customer in a professional services industry, they were getting 70 office of 75 cents on the dollar for revenue. The other, another company in the same industry, it was uh, media Right. Right. So uh, search optimization, that kind of stuff. Right. Had a subscription model. Right. They were getting offers of, I, and I want to, I think this Three is right. Three
3: times revenue or something, right? Uh, no,
1: 13
3: times oh revenue. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that's unbelievable. That, uh, that's a big multiple. Um, but that doesn't, you know, again, although that number is a little bit surprising, the the, the, the valuation doesn't surprise me at all. Right. Because it, it just makes sense that if yeah. you have that model. Um, but the problem is if you're a roofer, you're a landscaper, you're, uh, you know, you're a dentist, uh, you know, I mean, all these different things where, um, you know, can you turn that into a, If you can turn something into a subscription model, then you've got more of an ability to, to build value in your business. And, um, and unfortunately, in the technology business, which is mine, you know, people pay for their subscriptions to the software that I sold them. And I get a mm-hmm. little piece of that, but I ain't paying for my kid's college education with that piece, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's their subscription. It's going to the Microsoft and to Zoho and to Salesforce, not to me. You know what I mean? I'm just getting paid by the hour to implement it.
1: So- well, let's let's turn attention then to your latest article and talk a little bit about this, because I think that there might be something here in this. Mm-hmm. And, and your latest article for Forbes published um, this morning, actually, yep. says that 48% of sales leaders say their CRM system doesn't meet their needs. All right, so the good news is that's fixable. All right, well, why is it and how is it fixable? And let me pose this to you. Why can't you as a business owner make a subscription model around fixing it?
3: (laughs) Well, first of all, let me just say, let's look at the bright side, Ed. I never... Listen, fifty-two percent say it does me meet their needs. That's,
1: that's, that's, oh, there you go.
3: And the It's Um, it was this was a survey that was done by Sugar CRM, so they're a big you know CRM company, yeah. and and you know they surveyed like a thousand sales professionals and decision makers, and like basically half of the people that buy CRM systems think they suck. That's basically what the conclusion is. It's just it's not meeting their needs, and there's all these different reasons why, and the 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 reason, the big reason why, is because um, people. Have you know? We were talking about this in the break. They have higher expectations, that, or, or or unreasonable expectations about what's involved with a CRM. It's it's you know people get it's like a car that can go 350 miles an hour and it's being given to a six year old to drive. You know, so you like they don't. It's it's like an it's like a tool and an asset that people are just not. They don't seem to have the ability to actually use. And my point in that article that I wrote was that um, for CRMs to really be effective, um, people have to first of all recognize as they're a database, that's all they are, they're a database. And I do have a a, a sliver of clients that really do use them effectively and the reason why they use them is because they consider their CRM database to be their, that's their company database. That is it. That has got every single person who touches our organization is in that database. Our customers, our prospects, our vendors, our partners, our even our employees, you know what I mean? They're all there. And then everybody has got some kind of a follow up. And nobody looks like a dope in their company because if a customer calls or if, if somebody in quality assurance or somebody in accounting or somebody in HR has any interaction with a customer or customer project, they can go to the CRM system and see the information about that customer orders, notes, demographic information, emails, you know, tasks that were done, tasks that are still scheduled to be done. It's all there. So everybody in an organization doesn't look like a dope. And what happens is, is that people buy these CRM systems, they think it's just for their sales team. And then they realize like the sales team overlaps with everybody's in sales in a company. And they don't realize that it's an entire company that has to have access to this information if they're truly gonna be using it the right way. And people cheap out. They just decide not to spend like, well, you know, if I get a license for everybody in my company, it's gonna be a lot of money, you know? Or if we have to train everybody in our company, you know, that's gonna be a lot of money. And you ask about making it into a model And I've tried and the the issue is that people buy these things and they view them as a project. So you know, I, you know, it, it should be a long-term thing. It should be like, hey, you should be paying my company a monthly fee so that we continue to provide you with training and updates and services and customizations and so that you're just using and using and using the system better and better and better. And um, we, we've got generations of, of an attitude, cultural generations that are like, nah, we're used to just buying a software, we'll pay you guys to train us and then go away, we'll be fine, you know? And, and that's where we kind of you know, knock
1: heads and and that's and that's the problem because i you know I, I did implementations for a long time both of crm systems and and accounting as well and i always felt like this thing about the project is this 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 summit right we always right. use this climbing the mountain and my deal was is i really felt that what i was doing is i was i was getting i was like a sherpa and i was get, helping my client get to the top of the mountain and then i was taking a helicopter off and saying good luck getting down right <laughs> Yikes. Good luck. And I think that's really the problem. So I think applying the subscription model, look, and not every customer is going to want it and it's going to be significantly less customers that, that do this. Right. But I think that's really the issue because, well, let me tell you a quick story. I know we're going to go to a break, but here's an example. Great CRM system, USAA okay. had a little fender bender about two years ago. This is before COVID. So I call up uh, the, 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 they say, first of all, are you safe? That's their first. The first thing the customer served. Are, are you feeling safe? Yes, I'm right. feeling safe. That's great. Thanks, Mr. Kless. That's wonderful. Oh, and by the way thank your father-in-law for his service.
3: Right. Bang. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, can I, wait, can I counter that with you? And I know yes. our, your producer is going to no. yell at us or whatever. But like, That's right. We travel, I mentioned, like, you know, my wife is from England. We go to England like four times a year We uh, get to visit her family that are all there. We take the same British Airways flight from Philly to London every single time. And Ed, over the past 20 some years, and we've been married 30 years, it's pretty much the same people at the gate from British Airways. I mean, they're a little grayer, and a little smaller than I remember them <laughs> being, but it's like the same people. Never once are we like, oh, hey, uh, Mrs. March, good to see you again, you know, can we offer you a free Coke, you know? Or like, oh, well, you're back. Like, no, it's like even the airlines don't seem to have like the, the like a CRM system where when a passenger shows up, they, they just know who they are when they traveled last, who they traveled with, any personal information that would engage them and make them better. And, and, I, and I, I think that you're right when you talk about the companies that do adopt CRM, CRM systems in that way, um, they, they're they the ones that are not part of that 48% that are unhappy with the CRM system.
1: Right. I think uh, Martha Rogers, remember Peppers and Rogers wrote yeah. those, all those marketing one-to-one it books? Is. I think one of the, 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 I saw Martha Rogers speak at a conference and she called it the Dory effect. Right. Remember Dory from Finding Nemo? She yeah. could, had no memory. <laughs> That's exactly oh, right. What paper would you like? Uh, the wall street journal, (laughs) like I said, yesterday,
3: (laughs) the Dory effect is perfect. (laughs) It's a perfect explanation.
1: Good, good stuff. All right, Gene. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to let Ron finish up with you for the last 15 minutes. So let me say thanks for appearing today. Uh, We'll have to have you gone on again sometime. Love talking to you. But right now, I want to remind our listeners that you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to AskTSOE at Verisage.com. Don't forget, uh, tweet us during the show. We love to see those. Hashtag AskTSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsors, which this time is my employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, you shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. America TRN.
1: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
0: are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Gene Parks. And Gene, you're a author. You've written some books. So let me ask you, we love to ask our author guests hmm. this question. What are some of the business books that have had a major impact on your worldview, your thinking, your behavior?
3: Uh, it's, a, it's a really good question. The, uh, the First of all, uh, Michael Gerber's E-Myth is uh, probably one of the most influential uh, business books that I've ever read. Um, it is like a, um, you know, and, and the reason why is because it's a... It's a book that's written, you know, that, that, that talks to you about building value in your business. Do you know what I mean? So it is, it's, it's called the e-myth. It's been around for a number of years and it's just a, um, it is, uh, it, it just had a big impact on me. But let me tell you some of the other books that I think that business owners should be reading. Uh, you know, for example, there is the ultimate classic called the elements of style.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is by Evie mm-hmm.
3: White and William Strunk. And it's it's been it's like eight hundred years old. Um, and it, it basically teaches you how to write. And it is a very, very powerful book because in business we have to communicate and do a lot of writing and it is a book that teaches you how to do that. Um, Robert Cialdini wrote a book called mm-hmm. Influence, you know, the psychology of persuasion. Yes. Oh fantastic Ugh. book. Oh, and, yep. And it is a it is a book about uh you know about really about negotiations you know what I mean and and influencing people in a negotiation and that had a big impact on me as well and then you know I'm I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell's books um you know my favorite of course is, is Outliers which I think is probably the most popular um I recently just heard him again on on YouTube uh, right after Outliers came out he gave a talk at Microsoft. Uh, For an hour, you can look at that video on YouTube and it talked, you know, know, just all about the 10,000 hours and what's, you know, what's required Mm. to really be excellent at what you do. And that was a real, real, real powerful and influential book for me.
2: Right. Yeah. You know, we we, uh, one of the books that we we just did our last year review of the best books we read. And the one for me was Humanocracy by Gary Hamill. I don't I know if you've had a chance on. Heard of it. Yeah, it is phenomenal. Yep. I uh, just, it, it's a screed against bureaucracy and business. And it's, uh, it, he, as usual, he's just way ahead of his time uh, with that book.
3: Yeah. You know, I just, I, I have to tell you, I, I read, when I read, but only because I do so much reading online for what I do when I read and I read every night, um, I'll either read biography and history or mm. novels. And I have to tell you, again, as as somebody who deals with a lot of people, um, certain history and biography books, uh, you know, no one's, no, uh, God, with Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, the book about, um, I'm forgetting that, with Roosevelt and his wife, just finished it, like uh, Mm. No Uncertain Time, I think it was called, or something close to it. Fantastic. Um, you know, a recent biography that was done on Ulysses Grant, uh, Ron Chernow's book on Hamilton. Um, it, you know, When you read biographies about people that were in positions of power and how they handled it at the times, not only does it teach me own, my own lessons about management, but it does put things into perspective. You know, we mentioned Roosevelt earlier on in an earlier segments, right. and yeah, you, know, you really forget that all the stuff that's been going on in the world today—the race riots, and the right versus left, and the <laughs> socialism versus capitalism—and that, right? It's been going on forever, you know. Um, so it's just the internet blows it up more nowadays, right. but it does put things into perspective.
2: Right. Yeah. No. I agree with you. Reading history, reading biographies, autobiographies. That's uh, that's where it's at. I think I learned yeah. more from that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the FDR, but I just wanted to uh, tell you about Richard Nixon's. He wrote a book. He actually wrote quite quite a lot of books. He's got one called Leaders. That yes. I think you thoroughly yeah. enjoy. It's, it's one of the because I can't stand books on leadership. There's too many of them. They yep. all sound the same. His is completely different. It profiles some of the greatest figures in history. And it's just a really interesting perspective on leadership. Really, really good. Yeah. The, um, by
3: the way, the uh, no ordinary time is the is the no Franklin ordinary no, time. I guess, okay. Yeah, it's also Excellent. Great. And I, I will make a bookmark for for the Nixon book. The uh, you know I, I'm going to read uh, Chernow wrote a book about um, the House of Morgan um, and you know with all the right. very beginning of J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, which all you know split up you know in the 20th century. But um, you know I, th- those kinds of things are um, I, I learn a lot from from going back in time.
2: Right. And I I noticed just looking through your blog scroll that you do tackle economic issues. So who are some of the economists that have influenced you over the years?
3: I can tell you that I've got a few really good ones that I really um, I, I like to follow a lot so I can give you like three uh, just right off the top of my head first of all um, a guy named Mark, Mark Perry um, okay. he writes at the American Enterprise Institute yep. he is a University of Michigan uh, you know professor um, leans a little bit to the right but that's okay you know I mm, like to different sure. you know, Get I, to
2: all sides Yep. As I like do. to
3: actually hear all sides um, but his you know he, he writes uh, like a newsletter called Carpe Diem I subscribe to it and he covers certain issues like you know poor traffic into LA and you know and uh, uh you know he 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 speaks to the economy in, in really good in really good words. Another guy at the American Enterprise Institute so I'm probably gonna chop up his name but it's James Pethakis. Pethacucus. Um, that's <clears throat> yep. it yep. and yep. him and I are actually right now as we speak like tweeting back at each other about uh deficit right now and some questions that I had um about modern monetary theory and he is a uh he is a very uh astute you know writer about the economy um and I, I really appreciate what he does two others that i just thought i would mention one um ezra klein is not necessarily an economist but he does write mm-hmm. about the economy and yep. you know he's the founder of vox obviously he's on you know he's a left leaning guy super mm-hmm. smart super intuitive he's now a columnist for the new york times um and then i i visit once or twice a week um this great blog called Calculated Risk Blog. Uh, the guy that runs it is a retired economist and it is a uh it is a blog that tracks all economic data as it comes out from small business confidence to uh your retail sales to uh your housing starts and housing permits and the architectural billings index and he explains it and gives analysis of it and I subscribe to his updates and uh that keeps me very very well in tune on what's going on in the economy.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, we're economist junkies. We've had a lot of guests that are economists. Um, are you familiar with Russ Roberts' podcast, Econ Talk?
3: I have, yeah. And you know, and also, Miss Shedlock is another guy uh, who's mm-hmm. also very – and sometimes appears on that podcast. It's an excellent podcast.
2: Right, right. And in the spirit, since you like Petha Koukas, uh, you might want to check out uh, John Tamney. <laughs> okay. John Tamney is another – I think he's at FreedomWorks he's written many books on economics just for you know for the layperson if you will but they're just he's got a different perspective he bashes both sides sure. and it's just really interesting well, you know
3: so. the issue i have with the that, that i am trying to grapple with the economy they on is the um you know uh, you you know, obviously we have Deficits are skyrocketing, you know, our our, our M2 money supply has, as it was like 15 trillion at the beginning of this year. It's now up to close to $20 trillion. There's a lot of money that's circulating in the economy. You've got, I've got 10 economists from Harvard that are saying we have no inflation issues and I've got 10 economists from MIT that says that we're going to enter into inflationary. but nobody knows. It's like, nobody knows, you know? Um, and so, and I'm trying to make sense of this for my clients and for the people that I write about and then the people I speak to, uh, how does that impact businesses? And um, uh and I, malpronouncing his name, right, we're go- modern monetary theory is this is this? It's a left-leaning yes, theory that absolutely. basically says you, we can make all the money that we want as long as right. the economy can absorb it. Right. And, and if there's
2: and inflation, we'll just raise taxes and we'll suck just the raise money back taxes. Out. Yeah.
3: Well, what yeah. do we? What? Who knows? Maybe that is the right <laughs> theory. I don't know. I mean, you can't run a government like you run a business. Apparently. So I'm just trying to figure that out so I can make sense of that for my audience. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's not easy well thanks so
2: much gene this has been wonderful having you on well we definitely gotta do this again
3: (laughs) i agree it was a lot (laughs)
2: of fun i appreciate it and stay with us as we do our live close. but ed what do we have on store for next week
1: ron next week we are talking to donald hoffman about his book ready for this folks the case against reality (laughs) which i'm reading now and it's giving me a headache (laughs) all right i'll see you in 167 hours all right This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage transforming the way people think and work. So their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us on the web at www. of enterprise.com.